It is a time for our children. I want to invite all of you who are gathered here today and especially our campers to come forward for our time together this morning. Good morning. Hi, Lily. Hi, Hamish. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Oh, I'm so thankful you are in worship today. Good morning, Isaac. It is a good day to gather together this morning. Um, to begin with, we have a few people in some, we look like Christmas, some red and green shirts up here that say, I am, and these are our shirts from camp, and we have a few pictures up on the screens of our week at Bridgeport. Some of our third and fourth and fifth graders went to camp, and as you can see, they are very talented individuals. Everybody at our table knew the trick of the spoon on the nose. Let's see. And we also had some fantastic singers in the cafeteria. There's no bacon microphone in that picture, but yes, but they just let it go for everybody to hear. It was a, it was a joyful week at camp. And I was telling people when I came back, and I think I, I told some of your parents, this is one of the best weeks of my year. Oh, there's some tiger ears and some lion ears. This was from our lip sync showcase. These are some of the girls from our cabin. Yeah, see, many talents. You didn't know the children of this church were so talented. Um, but the week that we spent, uh, we have a theme that is here on our shirts, I Am. And we spent this week going through some of the statements from the Gospel of John of Jesus telling us, I am I am. I am. Oh, that was one. I think that was Tuesday night at worship. You have to have your one beautiful sunset at Bridgeport for the week. That was one of them earlier. At one night we had fireworks going off when we, we had airplanes going by at worship, a few golf carts. But we also had wonderful, wonderful moments of worship. And this, this photograph here just reminds me about our first day. I don't know if you've caught up on your sleep since then, campers. But the first day we talked about Jesus being the light. I am the light. And as we gathered for worship this morning, oh, it's such an important reminder. We have our lights on our table right behind us. We have our candles. We made candles at camp to remind us Jesus saying, I am the light. The light that no matter what can never be put out. And we gather and worship this morning to be surrounded and filled with that light. The next day, we talked about, do you remember? I'm going to put our campers on the spot. Do you remember the next day? It was a parable. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Yeah, the good shepherd. Miss Jenny remembers. Counselor Jenny, I am the good shepherd. And I love that message for us this morning, too, because... There's some other voices that we hear in our world. There are other voices that we hear that are not the voice of the Good Shepherd. But we hear the Good Shepherd who goes and finds us even if we are lost, who restores our soul, who gives us peace. The next day, oh, what did we do after breakfast? Do you remember? We all stayed in the dining hall. We made bread. The whole camp made bread. How much bread did we make? Uh, 22. We made 22 loaves of bread. 
And I think there were only about 150 of us at camp. It, we didn't get a little piece of bread for communion. We got big hunks of bread. There was so much bread that every camper ate their fill, and then we went and fed the deer and the raccoons that were at the camp. We had so much bread because Jesus says, I am the bread of life, that there are days when, oh, maybe and our spirits and our souls and our bodies feel empty, but Jesus says, I am the bread of life. That's where we are restored and filled and then, oh, Darlene, I was so excited. I, I am just so amazed with how the Spirit works sometimes. She starts reading the, the Scripture passage just now and go, wait a minute, I know this one. I know where that is. That's John 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. You are the branches. That's right. That is right. I am the vine, and you are the branches. I didn't, you didn't choose me. Jesus says, I chose you. I chose you to go and to bear fruit, to bear fruit. And we finally ended the week. We, you know, we went through the whole life of Christ. And so we talked about, even though we're called to go and bear fruit, sometimes it seems like those seeds are buried in the ground in the dark. Sometimes it seems like that light has been put out. Sometimes in our world, days seem very, very dark. And those seeds get neglected and forgotten about. Or maybe we just think they're too tiny to do anything with. They're so small. It's so small. How can this make a difference? But Jesus says, no. I am the resurrection. I am the life. There is hope. And nothing, absolutely nothing, in your life or in mine, in our city, in our world, Absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I am thankful. I am thankful that this day we are here to worship together, to be able to remind one another that God has given us that light and that absolutely nothing can take that light and that love from us. And what are we called to do with that light? What are we called to do with it? What did we do with that bread at the end of of communion when we had so much left over? We did. Yeah. Did did any of you get some of those extra pieces? What did we do with it? We shared it. Did you get that handful of seeds at Worship at the Cross? What did we do with them? We spread them. We put them all over that camp so there will be beautiful wildflowers and fields of grass later. And what did we do with that light that we have? We let it shine. We share that too. We share that because there is a world who needs to see that light. And I have been in Sunday school and in confirmation with all of you with Sunday school and at children's time. That light is in you. And we give thanks for that hope today. Can we pray? And say, dear God, thank you for the light, for the life, for the love that you have planted in me. Thank you, Lord, for loving me all the time and everywhere. We love you, Lord. Amen? Amen.
Thank you, Pastor Caroline. Well expressed. And children in the community, well expressed and received as well. Pastor Valerie sends her greetings today. Uh, this Sunday and next Sunday, she's on scheduled vacation uh, somewhere back east, I think the Jersey Shore. Uh, we will look forward to welcoming her back in a Sunday or two as she takes that time off. Well deserved. We start a new series in worship uh, today, go for a good bit of the summer remaining. Uh, nameless heroes of the Bible, or if you want an alternative term for it, unsung heroes of the Bible. And what you'll be hearing uh, from uh, the staff uh, will be uh, places in Scripture where unnamed but powerfully involved folk with God are about some very, very important business, including today. Uh, the version that we'll hear today comes from the second chapter of Mark's Gospel. Uh, it is one of those stories, it is one of those narratives in New Testament Scripture, particularly in the Gospels, where you find it in all three of the similar Gospels, or the synoptics is the technical term for them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in those three Gospels, you find a lot of overlap, but you find the Gospel writers doing slightly different things with some of these narratives for the purposes of the Gospel writer. But here is a story a narrative, and perhaps it's the same with you, over the course of, of the time that perhaps you've been familiar with this, is captured your imagination from a long time past, all the way to this day. I chose this one for my turn in the series today, because as a little boy, uh, certainly younger than Isaac, uh, at the uh, here down at the children's moment a second ago, but as a little boy, I was captured by not only what Jesus said and did, but what the four friends of the paralytic individual did. And even as a little boy, I said, now that is something that is cool. So I invite you, if you have your Bible with you or you want to reference the screens, let's hear this word from the second chapter of Mark. <clears throat> now, when Jesus came to Capernaum after some days... It was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that many gathered around that there was no longer any room for them in the house, not even in front of the door. And Jesus was speaking the word to them, and then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by the four of them. And when they could not bring him into Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let them down the mat in which the paralytic lay. Now, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in such a way? It's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And once when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth 
to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And the man stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed. They all glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. I bet not. We have never seen anything like this. The Word of God for the people of God today, friends. Thanks be to God. Thanks for the bell. Let us pray. On a Sunday when the full and complete work of worship, Lord Jesus, needs to be entered into and you call us into it for the purposes of not only declaring the Lord's worthiness of honor and praise and dominion and power and glory, but to prepare and equip your people to join you out in the world that needs the reconciling, redeeming, resurrecting, renewing presence of the grace of God. We stand ready to join you always in this hour and beyond this hour, having been fed and equipped by the work of worship. So may the words of this mouth and the meditations and the determinations of our hearts be acceptable. O Lord, in your sight, you, Jesus, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. There's a great lesson here in and through and about Jesus and a great lesson about four friends. And what can happen for the sake of one individual... For the sake of a family, for the sake of a community, for the sake of a society, for the sake of the world, what can happen when four buddies decide to raise the roof in a good way? We've seen that we've used that term a lot, haven't we, over the course of time? Do you remember the last time you used the term raise the roof? Most of us have, if we've been around at all. Most of the time, when we employ a term like that in some sort of descriptive conversation with somebody else, what we're talking about is somebody or somebody's really got good and worked up, and everybody knew it shortly. They were frustrated about something. They were angry about something. They were, they were distressed or something else like that about something or someone, or on a sometimes rare occasion, uh, they were really fired up with enthusiasm for something, some need, some promise, some idea, some possibility, and they got energetic all about it, and everybody around knew what was on their mind and in their heart to say or to do. Well, here in this, in this, remarkable, this remarkable narrative in Mark's gospel, close to the very beginning of the longer gospel narrative about who Jesus was and what his ministry was all about, here's the situation. Jesus was back home in his adopted hometown of Capernaum. He had been out and about in some sort of circuit through the Galilee to be about his ministry, and doing all the things that Mark in particular says he was about, which a lot of it was the following. He would declare something about the grace and power and will of God, and then immediately he would act 
with an act of power based in God's love and God's mercy toward somebody to not only verify the truth of what he said about God and promised about God the Father, but so that also he backed up what he said by action, by the power. Of God, It was happening all the time already by the time we get to Luke chapter 2. I mean, Mark chapter 2. And most of what went on were healings, such as today. But in this particular story, he had some help. He had some help. Four friends carrying a fifth friend. And the fifth friend was paralyzed. Now, as I unpack it, For just a moment, I invite you to consider your life and mine. I invite you to consider our community, the society, and all that it is and it is not. I invite you to consider the events of the shooting of the policeman the other day. I invite you to consider the folk who were present there, including some of our own good folk. I invite you to, and what they experienced there, what they will live with over many, many, many days to come. I invite you to consider those who were a part of the, of the friendly protest relative to Black Lives Matter and why that was important to them and to others that they knew and loved. As I unpack this, I invite you to consider these things as we go along and see what your discerning mind and faithful heart determine during the course of the unpacking. These four friends had made a decision to bring their friend to Jesus. That's the point number one. And in bringing their friend to Jesus, we're not exactly sure as to what their full motivation was, but here's something that we can rightly ascertain and believe in. They determined to bring their friend and their friend's need to Jesus, and they did. They did so out of great hope. They did so out of some measure of faith, and they did so perhaps out of some feeling of desperation. Because it was likely the case in this friend of theirs that other efforts had been made, other things had been tried, other people had been encountered for the sake of the friend, likely, likely to no avail. And so they determined. So Jesus was back in town. Something within their hearts and minds discerned that Jesus now being at home, being close by, let's take the opportunity, let's take the chance, and let's bring our friend to Jesus. Well, they brought him to Jesus, all right. Oh, how they brought him to Jesus. They were willing to do whatever they needed to do to bring their needy, hurting, struggling, bound up, shackled, enslaved paralyzed in more ways than one friend to the very feet and heart of Jesus. And they were willing to take exceptional measures of devotion to do so. 
Mark says that Jesus was at home. That means the residence that he was in and the crowd that he was entertaining and speaking with and teaching and doing whatever it was that Jesus was doing with those folks, the folk there in Capernaum understood that place to be Jesus' place. And without even asking, say, Jesus, do you mind? Because the, three, the friends could not bring their stricken fellow into the very room through the door. They go up on the roof. They cut a hole out. Down to the roof, the friend goes. They had resolved out of faith and out of hope, out of need and perhaps out of desperation, to bring their friend to Jesus. They resolved to undertake exceptional measures to do that, if exceptional measures were required. Now, Jesus, Jesus. It says there in the story of the healing that Jesus pronounced forgiveness upon this man. Some people standing there and observing this going on might have been confused a bit by that, and some would not have been confused about it at all. Because some would have thought quite logically and quite straightforwardly that the problem was is that this person was stricken by some sort of paralytic condition, infection, or disease that renders the body paralyzed. And therefore, whatever attention Jesus was going to bring to the person would have to do with physical healing. But Jesus didn't do that. Not at first. He saw the faith, he saw the willingness, he saw the readiness of the friends of this person, was so touched and moved by that, that he took a closer look at, a deeper look at this stricken one. And he realized something that God alone at first blush can realize. That the issue, the problem, the malady, which had this person utterly bound and enslaved, was deeper than just the body. Somehow, some way, this person had been shackled in physical paralysis, but long before the physical paralysis came, there was a spiritual paralysis. There was an emotional paralysis. Maybe there was a psychological paralysis. Something or some things had transpired in the life of this person to bring this person to such a place of devastation or fear or guilt or distress that everything about him had shut down. There had been so much happen wrong, brought to or within. Maybe in some instances it was his own doing. Maybe in some instances it was a system or a set of rules and regulations or something else that so brought about a feeling of unworthiness, guilt, sin, or struggle. Whatever it was in the life of this person, The first, the deepest, and the most profoundly true paralysis of this human being was not physical. It was everything else. 
And Jesus correctly discerned that the first healing this man needed was the healing of grace. The healing that would allow this man to receive and believe in forgiveness first toward him and then by him. Your sins are forgiven you. Well, some of the onlookers, some of the experts in the law were sitting there having all kinds of struggle and trouble about why Jesus was doing this. And their hang-up was simply this, not knowing in their own understanding and discernment who Jesus actually was, thinking that he was just yet another itinerant traveling rabbi, local fellow, uh, one human being just like the rest of them, uh, were beginning to get their hackles up considerably because Jesus was behaving and claiming and acting upon authority that in their understanding only God had the right to have. And so Jesus begins to say, okay, fellas, so what do you think the hardest thing in the world is to say to this man right here, right now, today? Buddy, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say... In forgiveness, you are ready and you are eager to be freed from all that which has enslaved you. And so now your moment of liberation has come. Trust it. Take it. Get up. Take your mat and go home. Say, fellas, what's the hardest thing to say or the hardest thing to bring about? And just like he has done before in Mark's gospel, he declares the word and then he acts powerfully to validate the word. And the man who was fortunate enough to have buddies who was willing to bring him to Jesus and raise the roof to do it, the man was free. The man was free. The work of worship is to give glory and praise and honor that we belong to a Lord. We belong to a God, friends, who, are, who is about the business in every way that humans and God wants to define it. We belong to a Lord. We belong to a God whose business and will is to break the paralyzing bonds whether they're on the surface or whether their genesis is deep within a long-standing, dysfunctional, painful, needs-to-be-changed experience. To break those bonds in the person, to break those bonds in the family, to break those bonds in society, to break those bonds in the economy, to break those bonds in the politics, to break those bonds that paralyze God's children and capture them in despair and in hurt and in anger, whether it be the individual life or the life of God's community. The work of worship is to declare such a Lord, such a God, as worthy to be followed and to partner with. And the work of worship of discipleship, 
is to be aligned and to be encouraged and to be motivated to exercise fruitfulness with our Lord in that direction. To take up our cross daily and follow the truth, the simple truth of the present day is simply this. If nothing else, we bear witness, not only through our words, but through taking up that cross every day, and in some place, some way, somehow, according to the gifts and the graces and the passion and the discernment in each and all of us, we join Jesus out there somewhere in some element of that work of His, like those buddies, and we bring our world. We bring the life next to us. We bring the family down the street. We bring the inequities of the system we live in to the feet of Jesus. We take extraordinary measures of grace and love if we have to, and we do. We are willing to take the risk. We are willing to join our Lord there. And like those buddies... Bring any and all to Jesus' feet. And we will not be afraid to raise the roof to do it. The work of worship and the times we live in. Let me suggest, beginning first with Clay and concluding with anybody else out here who will embrace it. The work of worship from here on out. As long as we draw breath, as long as we are willing to come to sanctuaries like this, whether few or many, and to enter into the full invitation of Jesus' call in worship. The work of worship calls us to be four buddies who will bring to Jesus whoever's laid upon our heart, whatever's laid upon our heart, and then join Him out there after we've done so to risk, to do, to be fruitful so that His witness to His purposes may be known, but His redeeming, changing, reforming, resurrecting power can have a chance. I look out across this room, and for some of us, that time left is fairly short in terms of years. For some of us, our last time we will probably draw breath will be 35, 40, 50, 60 years from now. For some of us, like the littlest ones here, 70, 80, 90 years from now, And then, as now, and in the lives of our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren who will come and have the water of baptism put upon their head and, again, enter along with God's people into the work of worship regularly for the purposes that Jesus has. For as long as they draw breath, the need will be there. Even if it takes a thousand years to resurrect and heal and fix in each and every life, in each and every society, in each and every system, 
even if it takes a thousand years. Jesus invites us all to be friends of the world and friends of his, as the John passage says, that's willing to bring the world to him and be willing to raise the roof to do it.